The access to teams and people of importance in Web3 is unparalleled. People want to share their story. People want to connect. I've been fortunate enough during this miniseries to talk to incredible builders, founders, and creators. People that want nothing more than to see the Web3 industry succeed. Today, we took a step backwards in time to understand one person's journey who is directly responsible for kickstarting the on-ramp into NFTs for so many people. That's right. If your first NFT was NBA Top Shot, this person is directly responsible for why you own NFTs today. And I didn't know his name before last week. So much for DYOR. Before Top Shot, I couldn't spell Ethereum, let alone understand the difference between fungible and non-fungible tokens. Today, I had the privilege to talk to Mac Favell, co-founder of CryptoKitties, the kitty part at least. The NFT project that put Dapper Labs on the map and made NBA Top Shot possible. A few quick notes about our conversation. One, this is for adults only. There's no sugarcoating it with Mac, and he gets quite colorful with the language, which I can appreciate. And two, it's important to me to keep this series as authentic as possible, so I don't go crazy in the editing room. If you hear some non-peer audio, I apologize in advance. Without further ado, let's get into it, because everyone that owns an NFT should know this story. Today, we are joined by Mac Flavell, the founder of Big Head Club, and previously a co-founder and the man who developed CryptoKitties, the NFT project that jump-started Dapper Labs, the team that you all know now has since built NBA Top Shot and NFL All Day. Mac, it is truly an honor to be chatting with you today. How are you doing? I'm better now that I'm here. I'm so excited to tell this story to people who found Top Shot and it was their first experience in NFTs and have since branched out to the greater world of NFTs. And I definitely want to get someone with your tenure in the space. I want to get your perspective on today's world of NFTs and what you think of it all. But let's start out prior to doing anything with NFTs. You were a consumer application creative and developer. What inspiration did you draw from to create the idea for CryptoKitties? CryptoKitties really came from three things. One, I've always wanted to make a gardening game where you like collect bird songs and the birds that come and play different music change depending on the flowers that are in your garden and the flowers change depending on what seeds you plant and how you nurture them that entire thing where like you are collecting at the end but there are a difficult to calculate unknown series of choices that lead to that in collection that's a game i still want to fucking make and so that's been like haunting my dreams for many years now and at the time of crypto kitties Roham over at, it was Action Zen at the time, and then Dapper had said to me, I need you to figure out how to make the blockchain fun. I need you to care about the blockchain. And I was like, this is fucking impossible. Nobody cares about this shit. This is, this is nerd bullshit that doesn't make any sense. But I finally saw a CryptoPunk, and it looked like Wonder Woman, and I fucking love Wonder Woman. And so I didn't tell nobody because I was embarrassed, but I spent $35 on a JPEG of Wonder Woman, a.k.a. a CryptoPunk. And I was like, shh, don't tell nobody. Don't tell my wife. She didn't care. I told her. She was like, you're weird, but whatever, do you, you know? And 
And the third thing was cats. My friend Ryan was running a company called Product Hunt. Um, they used a cat as their logo that made no sense, and yet people loved it. Every every cats are like gasoline of internet video outside of porn. Cats are the biggest thing in online video, and so those three things. One, I was told to make the blockchain fun, and then it was like, okay, cats, unexpected outcomes, crypto punks. Let's make cats fuck on the blockchain. Woo! And thus was born the ERC seven twenty one standard. That's right. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about about that? You know, trying to work with the ERC twenty standard and and how you guys ended up designing the seven twenty one or what was the seven what what is now the seven twenty one? Yeah. So I um I am the kitty part of crypto kitties, not the crypto part. Like no pretense about that. And also, it's pretty neat that my problem of cat fucking led to the 721 standard like it's literally a guy named Dieter Shirley the CTO of Dapper as a reaction to what I said he's like okay I know what I need to do because my original pitch I sent a text to a guy named Richard who a lot of you know is a big NFT collector and a founder of Manifold I've known Richard for like 10 years and I sent a text he's been Bitcoin big for a long time so I called him I sent him a text message in 2017 being like I'm gonna get them to try and make a game where you fuck cats to mine bitcoin and he was like what are you even talking about and i was like oh no it's gonna be really cool and then i saw CryptoPunks. i remember sending one message to somebody at work being like can we make something like this and then i went back to work and i was i put two guys in a room pierre and fabiano and i was like guys we're gonna make cats fuck on the blockchain and they're like what and i was like well i don't really know what but like Bitcoin mining and cat fucking and unexpected outcomes. It's going to be really cool. And they're both like, sure, man. Uh, and then we talked to Dieter. And I said the same shit to Dieter. And Dieter was like, you're just like, you're not making sense. You're just fucking gluing words together randomly. But I think what you're trying to say is that it matters that the cats are not all the same. They have to be non-fungible. And I was like, yeah, the cats can't be the same because I don't like pink cats, but I like blue cats. And so if we trade pink cats for blue cats, I'm going to be pissed. They, they cannot be the same. And he's like, yeah, so I'm going to write a new proposal for a standard on this thing called the world computer. It's the Ethereum blockchain. It's a programmable blockchain. And I was like, now you're just gluing fucking words together. But yes, let's do one of those. And so Dieter, and then a bunch of other really smart people, but Dieter led the charge, um, created the 721 standard. And that led to like, you know, this jpeg empires that we all now live amongst i'm curious as to the light bulb moment when did you get a sense that holy crap i may have actually made the blockchain fun so there was a couple um signposts along the journey i would say there is a couple people fabiano that same guy i pitched the original concept to him and a guy named arthur who probably still leads project on top shot and a guy named benny who's there for a long time. And Benny is my fucking hero. He would tell you that I'm a mentor to him, and I would tell you that he's a hero to me. Benny's a fucking lunatic in all the right ways. And uh, the four of them went to ETH Waterloo in 2017. And they didn't have tickets to get in. They literally stood up front of the conference. And as I understand, I wasn't there, but like begged people to let them in and eventually got left in. And because Benny's crazy, they brought um, fucking helium balloons, tie-dye shirts, stickers confetti they look like like they look like the what are they called 
the Grateful Dead. They look like a Grateful Dead, like fucking Deadhead Parade or whatever. And they went there with a website that didn't work. There was only four cats that you could breed, if I remember right. It was all on uh, not mainnet, whatever that goddamn testnet is called. It doesn't work no more. Rinkby. And they, they, they showed people. They were like literally actively coding because we had a real deadline to hit. But they were also, Benny was selling it. And Vice has a, like the, the fucking magazine, whatever. I guess it's a website and stuff now. But I remember it from it was a magazine. Vice do's and don'ts were the shit, man. In like 2013, we lived for those. They have a, like a tech sub publication or something called Motherboard. And Motherboard wrote about, us at ETH Waterloo and was like in a world of weird ass shit the weirdest shit was this cat thing called crypto kitties and that was the first time where we were like huh well call my mom look no hands we made it in device that was interesting coming out of that we had a telegram group because this was before discord and so we had a telegram group that um I think it had like a thousand people in it eventually. And I remember one of them, they were really excited. They were playing with our alpha. We were like, hey, we're going to delete all of this. Like none of this counts. It's all, it's all make believe, but just we're trying to figure out, you know, it's an alpha. And then the night before we actually launched, I'll never forget one person writing, this is like Christmas. I've never been this excited in my life for the new genes to drop tomorrow. Cause there's only a very small number of genes in that alpha. And I was like, Ooh, it was weird. Like, you feel very strongly about this, but that's cool. You know, that's awesome. It's just interesting. And the thing about Axiom Zen is that Axiom Zen was, a, you know, like a startup foundry. We built many things. Most of them didn't work. Some of them did. But there were lots of people who worked there who did not work on CryptoKitties. A very small number of people worked on CryptoKitties. And anybody who worked on CryptoKitties was not allowed to buy the cats because we were like, we know too much. With great power comes great responsibility. Can't buy that shit. Don't want to fuck around. And so we didn't like trade the cats. We didn't buy them or anything. But another person who didn't work on the project came up to me and said, thank you for the trip to Vietnam. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he said, oh, I just sold $2,000 worth of crypto kitties and I'm taking my girlfriend to Vietnam. Wow. And we hadn't even launched yet. It was still in the like, it was after the alpha, but it was the beta, right? It was, it was on mainnet, but it was still a very private group of people. Sure. And I was like, huh, okay. And then the last one was, I was here at my parents' house right now. I now live at my parents' house, but I didn't at the time I was visiting here. I was walking up the stairs and somebody texted me and said, you just sold a cat for $30,000. And I always tell people this, like now in a post-ape world, you know, that's not even interesting. But at the time, nothing like that had ever happened. This was fucking unparalleled. And I almost fell over. Like I sat down and Ethereum was melting. And I walked upstairs, I almost started crying, and my dad was like, what's wrong? And I was like, everything is fucking broken. And and that was that was the last moment where I was like, all right, we might be onto something. This might be a thing. Uh, and so, you know, th- those were the signposts along the way that, like, maybe, maybe people are going to care about this little thing that we did. Do you happen to know what the cat that someone bought for 30K... Do you happen to know to know which one it is and it and if it's been resold? It was one of the what did we call them? We called them founder cats, and they were numbered one to hundred. So they were the first one hundred and like within I think twenty four hours, somebody then bought one for a hundred grand. Wow! And it was like oh shit, but but that wouldn't even matter that much because we'd already like crossed into the absurd. We were already in 
the realm of Wonderland, right? Like the Cheshire Cat was already whispering in my ear. At that point, you could just get crazier, but the slope had already been slipped down. Uh, and a bunch of those Founder Cats did sell for more later. I wouldn't be surprised that one did. I also, it might have been Chris Dixon who bought it, who eventually invested through A16Z. I know that yeah. he got a couple of the Founder Cats. He, not surprisingly, when you know how that guy thinks about toys and thinks about the internet and thinks about blockchain and all that shit, he got it before, you know, anybody else did or it would make sense did. that chris was early to trying to figure out all of these things and, and yeah, the fact exactly. that it was going to be the the standard moving forward it would make sense that it would click in chris's mind before it clicked in just about anybody else's i do want to explore just a little bit about axioms and i couldn't find a ton out there about your journey into axioms and and if you had any relationships with rohan beforehand like how did that how did your sort of journey into that world start I don't know how often Rob talks about this, but he used to be a VC and um, he really wanted to build a business and build products. And he had a very, very impressive set of skills for doing that. And um, he had spent a couple of years in Vancouver, Canada in actually, I think only like one year in high school. And, but his brother lived here, his brother's Sam. And so Sam's the shit. I love Sam uh and so he stopped being a vc i met him when he was a vc down in the valley and he would come up to vancouver every once in a while and i was like trying to be the middle of the startup scene in vancouver um and so it wasn't it's not really an exaggeration to say that anybody who showed up in vancouver and sort of like rubbed the genie and asked three times who should i meet I would eventually have a beer with them. That was like, I was the bottom of the funnel of startups in Vancouver. And so I met Roham through that. And then the first thing I ever did for Action Zen was actually headhunting. And I did recruiting and I went and met, I knew a bunch of people and I met a bunch of people and I introduced them to their first employee, whose name is Pierre, who's still a dear fucking friend of mine and still works at Action Zen slash Dapper. Uh, so yeah, I contracted for, like just doing headhunting and shit for axioms and before they even had an employee. And that was in 2000, fuck like 12 or something. And then I fucked off and didn't talk to them for a while. I mean, me and Ron would go hang out, but not like professionally. Sure. And then I got really into VR and I created a newsletter and like about VR and Rohan's a goddamn genius about a bunch of shit, including, um, marketing and framing and introductions i always tell people like the way he would introduce me to people in written format made me so fucking proud to be me i'd be like i gotta meet whoever he's talking about and they'd be like oh shit that's me like that, that he's describing me right now and, and it's accurate but it's also like oh man like i'm fucking cool i feel good about myself it's beautiful how he does that so framing as his gift uh you know marketing and such um I started just the shitty little VR newsletter, but I called him when I left my last job, which was in mobile attribution and mobile SDKs and shit. And uh, I was like, I want to come work for you. I want to work there at your weird ass business that I still don't totally understand, but like you're cool. And some of the people that I've helped get jobs there are cool. So I want to come work there too. And they put me through the fucking ringer like they did everybody. I went through like six interviews with a bunch of people that I'd got jobs there. And I was like, this is fucked up. But, uh, but they, they had very high filters, very high barrier for entry. Probably only bring in really high quality people. And so I started working there in 2015, probably. 
and then spent two years just building consumer apps, building like ephemeral messaging and building weird ass consumer apps, trying everything, games, anything we can come up with. I had a rare privilege of just being like, Matt, come up with shit, the team will build it. Come up with shit, the team will build it. And I was just wrong over and over and over until I wasn't. And yeah, so I worked at Axiom Ben for a long time and was friends with Rohan before that. And when I'd go down to San Francisco, I'd hang out with him. And when he'd come to Vancouver, he'd hang out with me and et cetera, et cetera. I wanted to make sure we got a little bit of that story because like I said, uh, as soon as uh, we got connected for you to be on the pod, that was one piece that I couldn't necessarily put together. So I appreciate you sharing some of those good I have no idea how they revise these stories. Like the, the origin story always gets retold over time to emphasize the parts that we care about. And my genius and tragedy is that I'm like pretty compelled to tell the truth most of the time. And so, you know, yeah, that's like an accurate story of how I met those guys. And fucking fell madly in love with them then and still am today. Like Sam and Roham, fucking rule. They are excellent. Well, CryptoKitties secured its place in history. The Flow blockchain was introduced, I imagine, because the fact that CryptoKitties came to life on Ethereum blockchain, it basically just brought Ethereum down. Is that correct? Yeah, I try not to sound as arrogant about this as I used to, but Ethereum like stopped working for all intents and purposes. Um, at its apex, somebody reminded me I'd forgotten this, but CryptoKitties was like 25% of transactions on the blockchain at one point. It was, it was too much. And it became obvious pretty quickly that like there was three things missing. There's three things required for this to go mainstream. You needed really high quality content on the blockchain in the form of NFTs for people to give a fuck about. And then they needed to have access to that content. And then it needed to be scalable. And so we made more apps, things like Topshop. We made Dapper Wallet to solve the accessibility. And we made the Flow blockchain to solve scalability. And I said, Rum, I'm like, dude, this is fucking dumb. Like, you know as well as I do that startups need to be laser focused. We need to do only one thing. We need to do it really, really fucking well. And this Trident Prong Aquaman's fucking fork strategy that we're using here is not going to get us success. Like, we have to be disciplined. And he's like, yeah, or not. <laughs> he was right. He's often right. He's annoyingly often right. And, yeah, like, we were ready to walk away from any of those probably if the need had arisen. But um, with some good luck and some hard work and some good planning, we are able to keep all three in the air long enough to get some real momentum. I want to make sure that we connect the crypto kitties into what is NBA top shot today, because that is so many people's first NFT experience. So once crypto kitties sort of becomes real, it's very much adopted the concept of, uh, of, of crypto kitties essentially needing its own blockchain. What sort of happened where, you know, NBA IP comes into play and, and is part of the whole Dapper Labs now? Um, computer goodies blew up and that was at the end of November in 2017, like literally the last couple days of November was when it really spiked. It got crazy. Every, this is a slight exaggeration, but not really like every IP on earth reached out to us. Every single intellectual property owner, whether it was a dinosaur movie or a basketball team or like just boring, weird, obscure shit. Just everybody was like, whoa, what was that? Because blockchain, we didn't use the word Web3. Nobody had ever heard of that yet. But blockchain was white hot, which is part of why we we're so successful. And so in this world of blockchain that didn't make sense to anybody, but everybody was talking about, 
Then you added the weird cartoon cat fucking and it was, that made a lot of money. And everybody's like, whoa, what was that? And like, how can we do that? And so we that's when we raised the money. By the end of that year, we had raised like $12 million or something. And um, then, yeah, they were like, Mac, you're going to be the co-founder of Dapper and the chief creative officer. You know, you're going to figure out what to do next. And I'm like, sure, man. Sounds cool. Like, sounds like a lot of fun. And so we did a project called Cheese Wizards because I love a show called fucking Highlander, but we couldn't find the Highlander license. So we made Cheese Wizards and that didn't really work out. And while we were doing that, they said, go. Remember when I said that three-pronged strategy? The make the cool apps, the consumer part, that was my problem. And so they were like, go figure it out and go to New York. The NBA is talking to us. Go talk to the NBA. So me and Katie, who's the head of marketing over there, went out to New York, had a good old time, drank some beer, ate some Korean food. And uh, actually some Cuban food. She took me to an amazing Cuban restaurant across from the fucking chess shop that the Wu-Tang talk about. It's cool. Yeah, we went into the basketball office with a Google Docs deck that had like black aerial font on white backgrounds. And we're just like, listen, this is how this works. We just did crazy, crazy shit with CryptoKitties. You have one of the five biggest IPs on earth with a like mentality that is a perfect fit for this world. Why the fuck aren't you making NFTs? And they're like, good question. And then Katie and Roham spent 18 months negotiating that fucking deal because you can't fuck around with the NBA. Like, you know, they're big girls. And that is how we landed in Top Show. What a crazy story. I want to I wanna put a, a, a cap on this by, by asking one question that is out of left field. Mm. Why Wonder Woman CryptoPunk? Wonder Woman is just cool. Wonder Woman is just like, her comics have always been very interesting. The idea of having a female hero in a male-dominated world. The real-life origin myth of the guy who wrote Wonder Woman, he's an odd dude who lived a very unconventional life, but was seeming to be very true to not only himself, but his values. There's a bunch of... Everything about Wonder Woman is cool except the invisible jet. The invisible jet is bullshit. Yeah. All those things. And so... And there was no... Like, the only other image-based blockchain things aka nfts even before we use that word i've heard about these curio cards but to be honest i've never seen those the only other thing was um rare pepe on xrp and they sucked they were like user generated content which was interesting but it's this like alt-right meme and people pretend it isn't or like laugh about it and talk around it but you know in 2017 we weren't fucking joking about the alt-right and so in that whole world when i just seen this beautiful little pixelated wonder woman like, I like NES video games. I'm a 41-year-old North American fucking male. No doubt. I grew up on Nintendo. And you take that aesthetic and you add... I mean, she's obviously not actually Wonder Woman. She just happens to look like Wonder Woman. And so sure, it, it all added up. And I was like, boom. To be honest, if there had been a Batman-looking motherfucker, I would have grabbed that, too. <laughs> Grabbing both would have certainly been great investments. That would have been fine. Uh, it's awesome to know just the, the mental journey from understanding and getting a crypto punk because it looked cool to figuring out how to breed cats on the blockchain to then negotiating a massive, massive contract with the NBA, who, like you said, is a top five IP in the world. Um, And so that is definitely a fun journey to think about. All right. I want to pivot a little bit here. So crypto kitties happens, the flow blockchain happens, NBA top shot happens. 
what made you want to start Big Head Club? And I will say before I let you answer, man, the Oni Ronin art is incredible. So I want to get a little bit of background as to what you learned about studying Japanese samurai, because I know just given the detail of that art, that a ton of studying went into that Oni Ronin project. But let's hit on Big Head Club, why you started it, and kind of all things there. Uh, so I eventually left Dapper and I went back to making video games because that is the kind of thing that I do when I like, don't know what to do with myself. So I was doing that. And then the NFT shit was blowing up the guys who eventually started Manifold, uh, Richard and Kenshi and, um, Eric and Wilkins, they were like, dude, have you seen clubhouse? Like in January of 2020, NFT clubhouse was crazy. They were like, you're the best talker we know. You have more credibility than anybody in this space. Please come host clubhouses with us. Please come just fucking talk about NFTs with us. And I was like, eh. I like those guys. I've known all of them for 10 years. And so I was like, okay, let's try that. There's a theme here, by the way, which is knowing people for 10 years. Like a lot of this seems like a serendipity and lots of it is, but lots of it is putting in fucking work and knowing people for a long ass time too. But yeah, no, that was taken off. And I called a friend of mine just, a guy named John who I've been friends with for 10 years and uh I was like we just check in with each other see how each other doing stuff and you said I think I'm going to spend the next year using blockchain technology to improve artists lives he'd been making some social tokens some ERC20 coins he's very technical and I was like oh that's what I'm going to do but like a Grammy award winning rapper just called me and he wants to make NFTs he's like oh Maybe we should like do it together. And I was like, yeah, we probably should. We never ended up making those rapper NFTs, which is good. Anyhow, yeah, we just were like, fuck, like art's neat. Um, and, and art and technology look very similar to me. I don't really see a lot of difference between those things. Art is neat. Um, we had enough credibility. To be honest, I called my boss at the gaming company that I worked at, who's this middle-aged, he's older than middle-aged now. He's an old white dude who's had fuck you money for years. He's a mentor of mine. He bought my first company a long time ago and uh, lent me money like when I needed him to and shit without asking any questions. He's cool. and But he fucking hates crypto. And in January of last year, he called me. I worked for him making games. And uh, he's like, what the fuck is an NFT? I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Let's try that. And then... I talked to him for 90 minutes. And when I took that job with him, I was like, dude, I've moved out to the country. I live in a fucking swamp. I'm not going to do no crazy shit. I just want to, I want to work for you and work for you for a long time. We'll make games, we'll make some money, you know, be cool. Give me a job, be cool. He's like, yeah, but don't quit. He's like, I fucking know you and you're a piece of shit and you'll just like walk out on me at some point. I was like, no, 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 no. Like really, I'm old and shit now. I just want to, I just want to make games and hang with my kids and throw a stick for my dog. And then in January, caught him, spent nine minutes talking about NFTs. And when it was done, I was like, I won't quit because my word is my bond. I'm like LL Cool J on that shit. But uh, you should fire me and invest in my new business. And he was like, shut the fuck up, man. Like, we're building this team around you, blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, okay, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And the next day, I called him again. And when I was done, he was like, fuck you. Here's your money. Go start this stupid-ass business. And so that's how we started Big Head. And then, yeah, um, ended up meeting a lot of like traditionally famous people, maybe what you would call celebrities. And that was interesting. It kind of distracted us, to be honest, like made some good friends, but also 
also sold a bunch of NFTs. Like it was good, but it just wasn't. We didn't set out to be the celebrity NFT company. That was on purpose. We just stumbled across these pretty incredible opportunities. When Vitalik is voicing a cat and Mila's fucking pushing the thing, you're like, oh, okay, that's like that's cool. We should we should work on that. Uh, and then did Oni Ronan. Now I got to tell you about Oni Ronan because Oni Ronan's cooler than you know. Like they look fucking cool. I always tell people they had the best art in NFTs of 2021. Outside of maybe Galaxy Eggs. I personally really love Galaxy Eggs. But Only Ronin came because I was reading a book about samurai death poetry. And the samurai, in order to die well, which was very important to them, would try and write a haiku that perfectly summed up their life the moment they died. The closer you could get to, like, your last breath, the, the more honorific it kind of was. Some people wrote those fuckers decades before they died. And some people rewrote them as they got better or smarter or whatever. But sure. best case, you write it like as the death blow strikes you or whatever. And so I was reading these, and this just blew me away. This is fucking nuts. So I called Manabu, who's a very good friend of mine. And I met him at Dapper. And he used to call me Decate, which means big hands. Because we'd go get drunk and do Lego at the Dapper offices. And he'd be like, dude, you're so clumsy. I'm like, I'm not fucking clumsy. I'm drunk, man. But uh, I am clumsy too, though. But uh, I was like, hey, man, I want to make like these NFTs that pay homage to the samurai tradition and the death haiku of the Japanese. And I don't want to be some fucking otaku white boy weebo shithead who just comes in and appropriates the shit out of your culture. Like, I would like to have you work with me to be thoughtful about this and guide me through this and help me learn. And he's like, yeah, that sounds really cool. And I called a friend of mine, Lance, who's a brilliant 3D artist um, who used to carve jade skulls like in real life with me. I would get him jade. Uh, I was like, hey, man, do you want to make heavy metal samurai with me? Do you want to make like really fucking crazy devil samurai? And he's like, yep. Uh, and we've been neighbors for 15 years. Ooh, 15, not 10, but there's another one. <laughs> and uh, so, so we all came together and we all worked on it together. And the thing is, is that, so here's the thing about Oni Ronin. There's 8,888. Everyone comes with a companion. We're about to drop the Kitsune. It's cool. We're about to relaunch the website. Best fucking website in the business. When you see the new website, which is not live now, but will be shortly, it's fucking gorgeous. And every one of those samurai, you can send to the Trial of Ascension. So if you send it to the Trial of Ascension, then you will either get one of the 88 golden ronin. There's only 88. Or you will get a fallen ronin back. And, the, and, and after you send it to the Trial of Ascension, you can listen to the haiku. So what's not obvious is that when you look at them, in the background of each one, the haiku is written in the smoke. We've got mm -hmm. Manabu's mother, this little old lady in Kyoto, to do all the calligraphy for that. Like, it is some authentic Japanese shit. And all of those poems are real. They're either from, like, basically the year 1900 to the year 1200. And then we got her to write them all out. And now when you send them to the Trial of Ascension, you can listen to your poem for the first time. There's audio. We got a we got a Japanese voice actor to do the like guttural thing, the dekase omasu, that kind of fucking amazing thing they do. And the thing is, you send it to the trial of ascension. If it comes back as one of the fallen, not golden, there's still ten shades of fallen. It can be blue, it can be purple, it can be orange. If you gather all ten, one of each shade, and send it to the Ethereum address roninhell.eth then we will make a custom Ronin for you. Seven people have ever done this. And now you call me, I find out what you love, and we get a new Oni Ronin made especially for you. 
in the style that you fucking love. On top of all that shit, because I'm not even done yet, I got two more things to tell you about. We're getting comics made. I got an 84-page manga made in Japan by Japanese people that is historically accurate. It is absolutely like there's all sorts of real historical moments that happen in it. Because my strong opinion is that if we're going to tell stories about Japanese history, we should be very respectful of the traditions and the actual history. Once they fucking die and they go into the Oni realm, gloves are off. You can get weird as fuck. You can have like dinosaurs stomping around. I don't give a fuck. Like then, then we're in the realm of the fantasy and it's fun and it's strange. And so our comic is that. Like it's really interesting and historically accurate until they die. And then it's just like, woo. <laughs> uh, so we got that comic coming. And the other thing is we have a fuck ton of classes. So we have a university professor from Concordia who teaches a class on late Edo period Japanese history. We have haiku lessons. We have flower arranging lessons. We have Zen meditation lessons. We have Japanese language lessons. And all of those you get access to if you just own an Oni Ronin. The Oni Ronin art, like I said, is incredible. And as someone who didn't know any of what you just said, just sounds like an amazing experience. I do want to come back to, to my one question because the art made me think about asking you the question of what is the one thing you would say you learned from like that whole journey of creating all and studying all of what Japanese samurai did. The thing I learned about NFTs is all that cool shit that I told you is way too complicated and people don't fucking get it, but that's not what you're asking. I'll tell you though. That's what I learned about NFTs, right? We tried to make it an interesting bravery mechanic around this golden Ronin. We tried to deliver incredibly high quality art. We tried to disrupt education we try to do all these things, best in class in all those categories, and it really just confuses people. Oh, is it a lottery ticket, or is the art beautiful? That's really like how people think about these things. Yeah. Uh, and the thing that I learned about Samurai, you know, just one crazy-ass fact, the number one weapon, which I learned in history class, taught by a professor, because I own a Noni Ronin, so I get a 10. The number one weapon that made the Samurai the Samurai was a bow that they were able to shoot from a horse. It's not the sword. It's not the katana. A lot of the fantasy that we have around, like, the noble warrior and all that shit, it's not that that's not true, but, like, the military prowess, power and prowess, came from the bow that they were able to shoot from the horse. You never know what you're going to learn when you jump on conversations with people who have been studying things for years. And it turns out, you know, if you if you know people for 10 years and you start working with them, it sounds like there's a lot of positives that could come from from these kind of interactions. I, I am interested in your get like I said, given your tenure, uh, what do you think of the NFT space today? Do you, did you foresee that there'd be this many projects and this many teams that are out there creating projects on the daily? I think so. In the old days, in like, I don't know if I'm going to get the year right, but say 2011, the App Store from Apple opened up. So when Apple first shipped the phone, it came with a certain number of apps, all the like default apps, and that was it. People still thought it was fucking amazing. And then later, they launched the App Store, and that was interesting, sort of. People didn't really get it. And then the game started coming. If you're really an OG, you remember that Flight Control was the first big game. That was the game where everybody's like, oh, this is crazy. Like before Angry Birds or anything. Uh, and then we got to a point where there was like five games being released a day. And the public's commentary on this was like, this is unsustainable. This is fucking dumb. Can you believe there's five games a day? People are releasing 20 apps a day on the App Store. Are these people stupid? Don't they understand market size? Oh my God, this is just so dumb. 
Most people who think that there's too many NFTs right now sound like that to me. Like the, the, the actual language that people use is very similar. And it's like, yep, you're right. There's 1.4 million people last time I checked who've ever interacted with an NFT using MetaMask. Something like that is the stat. And if you think we've hit peak NFT, then you and I have very different ideas about where we're fucking going with this thing. Uh, I think that there's something like 4 billion people online and very likely all of those people will be on chain in some form or another in 10 years. And that all of those people are going to want to have forms of power and identity and entertainment and art. Uh, and all of those will be captured in NFTs. And that's always been clear. Like, um, our mission at Dapper when I was there was to bring the first billion people to the blockchain. So no, we didn't think a billion people were just going to play CryptoKitties or fuck with Top Shot. You know, there was going to be a fuck ton of people in a decentralized world building value for those first billion, not even last billion consumers. Honestly, that might be one of the most articulate bullish case explanations for the blockchain that I've heard. And from someone who's been in this space for so long, I think it, it comes with, with a lot of power. Mac, you seem like an incredibly positive person, someone who's just so authentic. Like you said, to the fault, you just say the truth. What I want to know about what, what have you had that's been a low point in NFTs and how did you overcome something like that? I made, I made blockchain people mad at me more than once. When we launched CryptoKitties, people were furious. I got like really angry DMs being like, we are trying to start a revolution and your stupid fucking cats are melting the network. Get them off the blockchain. And people were serious. They were like really fucking angry. And I was really stressed out for like six hours. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. We didn't, we didn't mean to upset anybody. Like we, we were just trying to have fun. We were just playing with the cats. And then I started thinking about it and I got like, meh. And then after Stoner Cats launch, people were not happy. That did not go well, right? There was a, <laughs> there was... There was gas wars and people were really mean and really rude and really shitty. And I keep telling people that hurt my feelings. I'm not supposed to admit that. I'm supposed to be like, oh, I don't care. Like fucking trolls on the internet, whatever. But I totally care. I am very emotionally impressionable. And I gave many fucks. Just this morning, I was looking at OpenSea and I was trying to find my own fucking profile. And so I uh, like typed Max Lavelle into the OpenSea search bar. And I found an NFT that somebody made called I Got Punked by Max Lavelle. They're like, they just like, they don't like me. And so they're like, I made an NFT. About, and it's like, Mac fucked me again. This is the NFT for you or something. And I was like, huh. Now it did say the overlord of NFTs. And so the rest of I was like, eh, I take it. You know, it's fine. But uh, I mean, to be clear, I ain't the overlord and I ain't fuck nobody. Like both of those statements are false. But it, it, it sucks. It hurts your feelings. And like, I'm generally in a good mood these days. And so it's not getting to me much. But the last year was kind of hard. It was. And like, I don't know. It's been interesting. I have made some friends who are very well known in the last year or two. And I used to hear about like, I used to not understand why famous people, not that I'm famous to be clear, but I know some famous people now. And I used to not understand why they gave a fuck about what people on the internet said. Like, dude, not only are you beautiful, you're also rich and powerful. Like, what the fuck do you care if some shitlord in his mother's basement in fucking Birmingham cares about how you acted in that movie or how you did this thing or that thing? Like, who fucking cares? Intellectually, I strongly, strongly agree with that. But emotionally, I don't know. It's, it's, it's shitty having people be mean to you on the internet. We're all humans. There are humans on the other side of that screen. There's people reading that shit. 
I think that's really powerful. It what you say matters whether that's face to face or whether that's behind your computer screen and i think these immersive experiences that we're going to continue to see coming up with metaverses and 3d and vr and i, I think trying to get more real life interactions but yeah i think it's so easy to be you know a keyboard warrior at times but i think what you what you said right there matters a lot that those words are hard to ignore and they do matter. So, you know, I think one of the things to keep in mind is what you just said. There's people on the other side of this that keyboard and there's people reading these messages and 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 words matter. I think they do. And if they didn't, then like I wouldn't be here because the only superpower I have is words, right? Like the same thing, the blessing is the curse. The thing that has allowed me to be good at what I'm do, which is to communicate very effectively, very often with very many people allows people to be very hurtful. I have two questions that I want to end with. One, can you give us any of your thoughts or ideas of what will be kind of the next hot topic in Web3? Last time I answered this question, I gave this answer. So I'm, I'm just going to keep running with this one until I'm wrong. The next big thing is the Purple Chip Alliance. Uh, right now you have blue chip NFTs. They're fucking amazing. People love them. They don't need any help or nothing. And then you got some bullshit that never went anywhere they're bleeding out on the floor and in the middle of the red floor blood and the blue chips you have purple there are somewhere between 20 and 200 projects that are created by people who care about their work they care about the community that bought their stuff they don't know what to do they're not magical they can't just fucking jack up the floor price and they would they would give up naming rights on their third born child in order to take care of their collection but they're not sure what to do. I think that there's power in aligning those people. So I think there's a bunch of collections, things like Oni Ronin that are not a blue chip. Like let's be abundantly clear. Oni Ronin is not a blue chip, but it's fucking cool. And there's a bunch of other projects like that. There's Sad Girls Bar. There's dot, dot, dot. There's the Toddler Pillars. There's a long list. There's so many. And I think, I'm hoping that we're going to see a bunch of those projects align they're going to they're going to come back to back us against the world and it's going to be like oh maybe maybe it looks something like a union maybe it looks something like a co-op but there will be a super community of the project organizers and the project uh, owners who end up creating an immense amount of value for each other by simply aligning their interests and that will be the purple chip alliance i think that's the next big thing I love that purple chip alliance. Mm -hmm. I think it seems like a, a fantastic idea to continue to push things forward. It is a challenge to find talent in the space, but aligning interests, aligning incentives and bringing communities together is certainly one one way to continue to challenge the blue chips and continue to move forward with, an, with, a, with a new technology and create new and interesting things. Mac, where do people find you online? How do they interact with you? Where do people figure out what's next coming out of Big Head Club and, and everything? Thing that you're getting your hands into um we do the twitters i don't really internet outside of twitter i try very hard to not use discord i don't use linkedin i don't use instagram i don't use facebook but i fuck around on the twitter at big head mac i think m-a-c-k big head mac and big head hq is our like real account and you will find me mumbling loudly over there Awesome. Well, Mac, I just want to say thank you. It really was an honor to get your perspective on all things. Thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure. Thank you. We've talked about diversity in the Web3 space, but authenticity and truth are just as important, if not more important. Thank you to Mac for being so genuine, candid, open, and frank about his story. 
Thank you to Mac's team at Big Head Club, Angel specifically, for reaching out to us and giving me the opportunity to talk to Mac. Now that you know a bit more about how the ERC-721 standard came about, yes, to allow cats to breed, my words, not Mac's, of course, on the internet. You heard it directly from Mac. There are a maximum 1.4 million people that have interacted with an NFT to date. And in his estimation, 4 billion people that are online. If you simply look at the numbers, we still may in fact be early. But will we make it? I guess we will all have to wait to find out. But remember, there is a lot of life to live both inside and outside the NFT space. So keep on living and I'll talk to you next week. 